0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: And uh, with us today is a platypus. Well, I mean, not really physically in the studio because that would be kind of terrifying and weird, a little cute. Yeah, you'd uh,
0: probably be submerged in a little bit of water or marshy area.
1: Yeah, I might be stung with a a vile poison. Various things could happen, and that's why they're not allowed in the office. But the platypus is with us in spirit.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It is here, and it it, it wants us to represent, in case you're wondering, why platypus? Yeah, it's sort of, I know, the the Rodney Dangerfield of the animal kingdom. It doesn't get much respect. (laughs) People kind of make fun of it, um, and we should probably talk about why this, this, this poor guy gal doesn't get the respect it deserves. It's
1: interesting you say that, though, because there was a time before all these facts we're about to discuss came out, when the platypus was really revered. For instance, um, William Wadsworth originally wrote, I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high or vales and hills when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden platypodes. You know, that was the original lyric. Then he changed it to daffodils. Likewise, William Blake, platypus, platypus burning bright in the forest of the night, what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? Then he changed it to tiger because uh, all this stuff came out about the platypus and people were like, "Whoa, I'm going to distance myself from that." Mm-hmm.
0: Nicely done, Roberto. Yeah, I'm you had even... me for a <laughs> second. I was like, "I don't, really, I do not remember that." Yeah, yeah.
1: Happened again with Duran. Duran's hungry like the platypus, but that's that's a different era.
0: That's so much sexier than Wolf. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't go with that. I guess that's a, we're kind of underscoring a point here that that it doesn't exactly um take a rock star approach, this platypus, when you look at it.
1: Yeah. I mean, on one level, they are kind of cute, but, uh, you know, we're talking about a mammal, mm-hmm. a carnivore. You've all seen pictures of it. Uh, the accompanying blog post for this uh, podcast will have a picture of a platypus for your amusement in case you forget what they look like. Uh, tend to be about 15 inches long. Tail's about 15 inches. And the tail is looks like that of a beaver. They appear to have a duck's bill and a duck's webbed feet. Mm-hmm. They kind of have a furry otter's body. So they they look I I've, I've heard it mentioned that they look like an animal that was built by committee. You know, yeah. it's uh, it, they look kind of like a Frankenstein creature.
0: Yeah, yeah, built out of spare parts. Right. And actually it, um it, it it is a weird-looking creature, but it also genetically is a weird creature and we'll talk about this a little bit more. Um uh, but it's also kind of exciting because it's it's a uh, it's given us a little bit more insight into evolution and uh, perhaps how we even evolved as humans. Um, but I do want to mention that uh, it, it is, it is, the proper name is duck-billed platypus because okay. there is actually a beetle that's called a platypus. So they had to kind of <laughs> go back when they were. That's crazy
1: because that's kind of like having to call the Ghostbusters cartoon the real Ghostbusters because there was an older Ghostbusters cartoon with a gorilla in it.
0: Yeah. I mean, little did you know in the animal world there's the whole TM issue, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so actually when specimens of it were first shared in the 19th century, people thought that this, this, uh, creature was completely fake.
1: They thought it was like, um, what, what was the mermaid we were talking about last time? The
0: week? Fiji mermaid. Yeah, they thought it was
1: like a Fiji mermaid where yeah. it's like, really? An otter with a duck bill? Alright, right. Dr. Frankenstein, get that thing out of here.
0: Right, cause we know the Fiji mermaid was, was made to look, was actually made out of parts.
1: Yeah, they took a monkey, part of a monkey, they took part of a fish, yeah. sewed it together, put it on display, charged people a quarter to look at it.
0: Yeah, so by the time that platypus came around, they were like, you know, burn me once, shame on me, burn me twice, <laughs> shame on you or I think backwards, but whatever. Um, it, it's just so odd-looking that people just couldn't really wrap their heads around it. Um, and actually, the, the other reason why people couldn't wrap their heads around it for so very long is because it's indigenous uh, to Australia and mm. to the streams and freshwater areas around there, uh, rivers. So it's not like it's in a multi-platypus of places, so to speak. Um, and... It's also not something that we've been able to breed in captivity and really look at it uh, until recently, actually. So it's been a bit of a mystery, and mm-hmm. some people uh, for a long time thought they just didn't exist. Um, so that's that's sort of the the background that you get on this person. And we should probably go ahead and say that sometimes we're going to say platypodes, right? Yes. For the plural, perhaps we'll even say platypuses. I think both of them are right here.
1: Platypus is, yeah.
0: Platypus is, and platypodes, platypodes, I like better because it kind of sounds like platypuses exploding. So yeah. that's going to be my, my preference here.
1: So it's, it's easy to make jokes that the platypus looks like a duck and a beaver, uh, had a baby. Um, yeah. But obviously that's not the case. Uh, these guys date back quite, quite a long ways in our, uh, in the evolution. Uh, of of mammals.
0: Yep, that's right. One hundred thousand years ago, these these guys have been hanging out for that long, and they were actually called monotremes. They're uh, one of only two kinds of egg laying mammals. Okay, weird, right? Mammals don't lay eggs, right? right. Um, and the the duck billed platypus is one, and the echnud echidna I believe echidna is a spiny ant ear yeah, e- So that's the other echnod? one. I good with that echidna. Uh, yeah. Let's go with spiny anteater.
1: Spiny anteater. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually thought that they've they've been successful as a group, this tiny group, right, um, in their survival because they can take to the water to escape danger from the land loving predators. So, small group of, of uh, egg laying mammals here, and also huge anomaly. Like yeah. it's almost it's sort of a question mark. Even to call them a mammal, of course they, they are classified as a mammal, but that again is one of the reasons why they're so odd.
1: Yeah, because genetically they draw from toolboxes of, uh, genetic toolboxes of other s- species.
0: Yeah, that's right, uh, they're called the bridge animal. Yeah. And uh, this is from Scientific American. It's an article called What's Our Connection to the Platypus? And, again, they call it the bridge animal between non-mammals and birds and reptiles. And the article points to the platypus as a clue as to how mammals, birds, and reptiles evolved from a common ancestor 315 million years ago. And this is a quote from that article. As you look at the platypus genome, effectively what you've got is a patchwork. Places that look a little bit more avian, places that look a little bit reptilian, and places that look a bit mammalian says Mark Batzer, a, gen- a geneticist at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, uh, looking at different genomes and seeing where various processes were created gives you some insight into how things work and why they were generated. So they, they mapped the genome of these guys, and, and they realized that it wasn't just as straightforward as being a mammal. Right. Or what we think of as a mammal. And it kind of all boils down to the old frank and beans.
1: The old Frankenbeans. Oh, they're parts. Yes. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, interesting, uh, because I was in yoga last night, uh, with my wife and, uh, there was kind of a low point when we were, uh, we are trying something new in yoga and the stuff. platypus. No, no, well, position. Would, the platypus <laughs> position. It's really, yeah, it's, it's really rough on the knees, the platypus. Um, but, uh, I just leaned over and I was like, Hey, did you know that platypuses have cloaca? And then she <laughs> got mad at me and said that I'd ruin platypuses for forever.
0: Well, and you did this in yoga?
1: Well, it was, I, it was on my mind. I'd been researching technology of the ancients all day and platypuses. And platypuses seem you know, more game for a, a quick uh, anecdote during yoga.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about why this is disturbing <laughs> to your wife and to others and to myself at times. The cloaca, right? Yes. Um,
1: the, it, this is again, this is Roman for, uh, sewer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of a multi-use port for genetic material, mm-hmm. for pee, mm-hmm. for Poo. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of like, it's, it's a call a one ender, I believe. Yeah. Because it does everything. Um, and for, for platypus, um, or platypodes, like reptiles, they actually maintain their testicles in a body cavity, uh, while placental and marsupial mammals hold their testes in an external scrotum. Mm-hmm. So it's odd, right? Because, it, it is. and yet they are classified as mammals. Yeah. Because
1: the cloaca is typically the, uh, that's generally the, the trademark of the birds.
0: Right. Yeah, Right. And we talked about this, too, in our Tyrannosaurus sex podcast yes. about cloaca. Um, and and it, we're trying to figure out exactly how dinosaurs made it. So the cloaca is, is a very interesting model here. We won't go into that because we've talked about it before then. We've already made the platypus now kind of dirty in talking about yeah. cloaca.
1: Every time we say the word, we lose like three people shut off the podcast. Yeah,
0: they're like, stop with it. Don't please don't say cloacal kiss. Ah, uh-uh, You did yeah. it. Yeah. But,
1: but I mean, really, just bef- before we move on, let me just say that, I mean, technically with humans, we have like genetic material and, and pee use the same parts. So, I mean, there's an alien could easily land they're in on the this neighborhood. planet. neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. An alien could easily land on this planet and say, whoa, I have like three different things. Well, only one function for each one. You guys are gross.
0: That's true. And they'd really That's be true. grossed
1: out by the platypus. It, it you know. is
0: all perspective. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about why they're technically a mammal.
1: Yes. They, uh, the big one, of course, with mammals, as we all know from science class, is the milk, right? Yes. So, is there platypus milk? Not available at the store, but available <laughs> at the platypus?
0: Not yet. Yeah. Uh, mammary glands actually secrete milk in collective grooves on their abdomens, and then the baby platypuses lap it up.
1: But they're not quite nipples, though.
0: They're not nipples, and um, and I was actually watching the um, the documentary that you recommended, the uh, the Life of Mammals, in oh, yeah. which Sir Richard yeah. Attenborough narrates it and he says it oozes out which i thought like <laughs> that's so much better than than you know it just gets collected in grooves like somehow uh-huh. that just even if i say it in my own accent it oozes out that you get a better idea of how this is working
1: i can picture him now in boots chasing a platypus around a swamp telling me about it,
0: it yeah that's what he was doing disturbing a nest looking yeah. inside getting excited about the oozing. and uh another reason why they're mammals is that they're hairy yeah right uh, they've got temperature temperature control. They're warm-blooded, although they are nine degrees cooler in body temperature than humans. Okay. So that's what technically makes them mammals. Um, but what makes them reptilian? We've talked about it: the um, the egg laying, right? The cloaca, uh huh. And the testicles, right? When it when it comes to testicles, they're they're innies rather than outies. Okay. And uh, venom.
1: Yes, the males in particular, they have these sharp stingers. Yeah. On their heels. Uh, on the heels of their rear feet, and which they can use to deliver a strong, toxic uh, injection to uh, any kind of uh, predator or foe, or, or even human, if they happen to to get a little too close.
0: Yeah, I love this about them. I think it makes them like super assassins of the wild. Um, yeah, they've got those spurs on their hind legs, and the the venom apparently is so uh, painful that in in humans, a it lasts for a month, uh-huh. but b it actually um, is resistant to morphine into other painkillers wow yeah so i mean scientists are looking at that right now saying like what is let's try to figure this out like how is there a venom that we can't block the pain from that is just so crazy yeah
1: and what can we learn from this will help us understand pain or, or pain management, pain management yeah, yeah absolutely yeah um oh and there's there's a lot more that's crazy about the platypus which we will get to right after this quick note This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of Tomorrow. And we're back with the platypus. So we were just talking about the platypus venom and how crazy that is.
0: Yeah, how it makes them a, a bit of a, a you know, secret service agent.
1: Yeah, especially when you throw in the fact that they're, they're bills, which are not really like duck bills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, their use, they can, they can sense with it. Like they can sense muscle contractions, right?
0: Yeah. They've got the electroreceptors in the skin of their bill mm-hmm. and um, that their bill is rubbery by the way, um, and, and a bit pliable and, um, As is described in the life of mammals, it's used like a metal detector in the water. And so the platypus closes its ears, eyes, and nose holes, and then it submerges itself. And 850,000 electrical and tactile receptors pick up really minute electrical currents given off by just like the slightest muscle contraction of a creature nearby.
1: So just to drive it home, if your boss was a platypus Mm -hmm. and you were in like a meeting with your boss, like he he could even just be looking out the window mm-hmm. and not even not not even looking at you out of the corner of his eyes and you would have like the tiniest micro expression on your face yes. and he and he would sense it through his uh his his platypus bill and, and know exactly what you were thinking
0: yes he would you know. turn around and he would have a platypus bill and he would say <laughs> I detect that you are not happy with that scenario.
1: And then, just like that, and then hit you with the hind venom. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, talk. I mean, you know, of course, we're anthropomorphizing this this creature, but really, yeah, if you think about it, there's there's some 007 <laughs> elements going on.
1: Um, it's it's interesting uh, too uh, how they they hunt though. They um they they end up you know you, after they found their prey with mm-hmm. this amazing bill, they scoop up uh things like insects, larvae, shellfish, worms, you know, whatever, uh, and they scoop it up from the bottom of the, of the, of the, the river or pond or whatever mm-hmm. they're in because they're bottom feeders. And, uh, and they scoop it up with, along with gravel and mud. And they store all of this material in cheek pouches. And then when they get back to the surface, then they start chewing it down, but they don't actually have teeth. So that's yeah. why the gravel is important. The gravel they scoop up with, uh, it, uh, is used to munch down the, this wonderful little, uh, um, what, what would you call it? What is the culinary term if you had, uh?
0: A mousse douche.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that.
0: Uh, right. Right before their main course. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it just seems like some sort of like a mash of different things. I don't know.
0: Yeah. um, I, I mean, a casserole, it sounds like to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a casserole their ocean with ocean and mollusks and mud, and it's all crunched up with these with the gravel in their mouth. Yeah. And, and they've like, got
0: little plates in their mouth, too, right? Like, they don't actually have teeth, but the plates kind of help, too. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's like plates and gravel. It's, it's an interesting system.
0: Yeah. That's very cool. It's kind of like a, it reminds me of a seagull, although much more complex. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to birds, right? like why why again are they um, genetically expressing genes that come from birds? This is another thing that's confounding scientists and uh, and what they have found is the distinctly bird like sex chromosomes, and this was a discovery published in Nature magazine in two thousand and four. um it was assumed before that that the sex systems um for mammals and birds evolved independ- independently from each other. Uh-huh. So the conclusion from this data is that it's possible that all mammals, including humans, may have a bit of avian genetic material in our own makeups. Ooh. So there are some biologists who, who take issue with this. that They say, like, that's, that's way too much extrapolating going on here. Um, but there are some that say it's very interesting that, you know, our idea of how we have evolved is pro- you know, perhaps not as clean as we have thought about it before.
1: Right sorry i'm just thinking about cloaca again like i guess that means there's somebody
0: i know i uh, said see i saw this like slight smile on your face and i was like what is going through your head
1: (laughs) no I'm just thinking about you know it's like if if humans continue to uh to evolve if we allow ourselves to to evolve in any way that's not shaped by our own uh designs for ourselves um could we conceivably draw back to some of these older uh uh, you know, Are you suggesting
0: that if we wanted to, we could have clo- like, we could create cloicas? Oh, cloacas. I'm- I'm-
1: I'm pretty sure, given sufficient technology, we could reach the point where humans could have cloaca if they wanted them, which I, I hope they wouldn't. But I'm also wondering, like, how much would our- given natural evolution, how much, uh-
0: I don't know. I just- I need no. a- I need a brain- a brain scrub now. Okay. Sorry. I gotta get that out of my head.
1: It's just such a funny word. And- Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cloaca.
1: Yeah, I think it's because of that. I've heard I've heard it uh, put forward. There's like some comedian who was writing about this and very recently. And it's like words that have like a a K and a K sound in it mm-hmm. are are inherently funny, like the word clown, the word uh, cloaca, the word. Uh, I don't know. Give me a give me another one.
0: Kegel, but that's not even, that's just that's, funny for yeah, different reasons. But, but
1: that's, that's a, it's a funny word. It's funny in and of itself. Yeah. So,
0: I don't know. I feel like we're at the end of our platypus uh, podcast. Are you, are you thinking? I'm thinking now so that too. we've devolved into <laughs> <laughs> trying to find the colloquial like words.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's a basic overview of the, of, of the platypus and why it is a unique, not only a unique animal, and a funny-looking animal, but also a, an important animal, and uh, and one that's worthy of continued study.
0: Yeah, and it's still a mystery, right? Yeah. They still are trying to figure out why this genetic material is showing up. What does it mean? Again, in, in the in the bigger context for humans, in terms of what we're made up of. Um, you know, I I have bird-like behavior sometimes. I have to wonder if I've got some genetic sp- expressions going on there. I like worms. <laughs> We must have some listener mail. I'm we sure we do have some heard. listener mail.
1: We have uh, we received quite a bit uh, from our um, recent uh, podcast titled "Is Mathematics a Human Discovery or a Human Invention," uh, uh, which is cool because that was a really fun one to put together. Yeah, uh, and uh, and we you know we won't be able to read everything we received, but I wanted to just touch on a few. Um, our reader by the name of a uh, listener by the name of Jeremy writes in and says, "Hey, Robert and Julie, I was listening to your mathematics podcast. This one particularly interests me because I'm somewhat of a mathlete in high school. That's that's awesome. I don't think either of us were mathletes. No.
0: Uh,
1: anyway, when you mentioned uh, Gödel's first uh, incompleteness theorem, it struck me as a kind is kind of funny because it reminded me of Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I've read the six book trilogy a few times, and one quote has always stood out to me." There is a theory which states that if ever anyone discovers exactly what the universe is for and why it is there, it will instantly disappear and be replaced by something even more bizarrely inexplicable. There is another theory which states that this has already happened. So uh, Jeremy goes on to add, I'd have to agree with Godel's theorem. We'll never fully grasp everything that's out there. Think of things like this. Uh, some some discovered cells in plants. Uh, eventually they discovered uh, the cells were made up of smaller parts like uh, mitochondria and DNA. Later it was discovered that these smaller pieces were made up of molecules, and the molecules were made up of atoms. The atoms had neutrons, protons, and electrons, and now all of these are made up of quarks, neutrinos, and so forth and so on. That's all. Keep up the great work. Love the podcast. So that was... Um,
0: quarks, neutrinos, yeah. that's all. Yeah. I love that.
1: Well, he, t- he took us to the edge of human understanding. I know, you know I, I mean? know. That's
0: how I was, he kind of mind-cracked us and then yeah. just left us there.
1: Oh, yeah, well, he's a mathlete. What do you expect? Yeah, I know. Yeah, They're, they're intense. Uh, we also heard from Leanna. Leanna writes in, Hey, Robert and Julie, I wanted you to know that I enjoyed your math podcast. I was an English major uh who was a was math phobic. Now we're talking. These is this more like yeah. our people. When I was in high school and college, uh but in recent years I've discovered that I'm fascinated by the ideas in higher mathematics and science. I think it's because I discovered the patterns shown in things like uh, Fibonacci numbers and fractals. Last December, our office was picking out calendars for the coming year, and I really had trouble deciding what I wanted to get. I'm not one for having pictures of dogs or kittens on my wall, and I'd had calendars with pictures of flowers and famous artist work for the past five years, so I was really excited when I ran across a calendar showing pictures created by fractals. I get so many comments on the beauty of the pictures. Some of them are psychedelic, uh, and others are very soothing. Uh, But each is unique. And I get a kick out of explaining to people that the pictures are a product of mathematical equations. Because the most common uh, comment after that is, really? Mathematics can be beautiful, even to a math-phobic English major. Thanks for the podcast. You make science even more interesting. Aw, thank you. Well, that's high praise. I can't really ask for anything
0: nicer. Why not? Um...
1: And then uh, I don't think I'm, I'm actually not going to be able to read this uh, whole email, but I just wanted to say, uh, thank Jim for writing in. He ha- had some wonderful comments about the whole uh, uh, question of whether uh, math is, a, is an invention or a discovery. So I'm just gonna, just a quick excerpt from this. I oscillate between the invention discovery camp, and I don't have a strong conviction between either. But right now, I'm leaning in the invention camp. To me, mathematics has been an invention that allows us to model many things we observe. Physics, chemistry, biology, etc. All of these disciplines existed before mathematics, and they will surely exist should mathematics be forgotten. There may even be other models that represent them as well. Uh, so anyway, he goes on from there. It was a great email. Yeah. You know, I really enjoyed reading it. It was very it. insightful. So, uh, uh, thank you for sending that in. And I also wanted to add a quick note on the mathematics uh, podcast. I briefly mentioned uh, the idea that uh, that that the angles and numbers in uh, like an ancient uh, Phoenician number numbers were related to what that uh, that numeral stood for. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of aired there because that's uh, that the contested idea. Uh, so, don't take that one to the bank with you. It's just—it's just more of a—I a, think it's more of an observation that people have made over over the years. Uh, but and and uh, on the surface it sounds great, but when you start looking at the data, it's like people really disagree on whether that has, holds any water. Uh, but everything else in the podcast is good to go. Cool. So if you want to uh, talk to us about the platypus, uh, if you have, uh, especially, I would really love to hear of anybody who has any uh, actual hands-on experience with uh, with. Platypodes out there, if yeah, the Australian
0: listeners too? Like, yeah, what is yeah. it, does it is it mean something in in their culture? Like, yeah, what's they- it like
1: to live in a country of of, of platypodes? I mean, you guys, yeah. uh, we have actually have a number of Australian uh, listeners, and uh, and you guys have amazing animals, and this is just one of them. So, it, yeah, you know, where are like- they in the hierarchy? Yeah, yeah, we'd love to hear about that. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're Blow the Mind on both of those things,
0: and you can also send us an email at blowthemind at HowStuffWorks.com. Mm-hmm. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.